This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera, a mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones, the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones, we were introduced to three of our characters. Beric the fighter, Lena the cleric, and Kier the Rogue. We learnt how they had all been travelling on a ship, the Siren, when it was caught in a storm. The ship was wrecked, and our characters were seemingly the only survivors, washed ashore on a deserted cove. Beric and Lena freed Kier from the ship's brig, and they salvaged what they could from the wreckage. Stranded with no safe way to scale the cliffs, they have ventured into a cave in the cliffside, in the slim hope of escape. Chapter 1. Day 1. Late morning. Party status. Beric, 9 out of 9 hit points. Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points. Kier, 4 out of 4 hit points. The sound of gulls faded as Beric led the party into the endless gloom of the cave. And as the daylight receded, the torchlight made shadows flicker and dance across the rock face. Water trickled like ribbons down the walls where it had found passage through imperceivable cracks in the granite. The sand was wet beneath their feet, and Beric worried about how many hours they might have before the tide might return. He decided not to give voice to his fear. It would change nothing. As for his companions, Kier seemed to be taking their predicament in his stride. Beric supposed the young man's life meant he was used to adversity. Lena, on the other hand, looked troubled. Her brows were perpetually knotted, and even in the torchlight, he could see that she was pale. Beric could not blame her. The young novitiate was clearly more comfortable in civilization than the wild. The party continued in silence, Beric in the lead, followed by Lena, with Kier at the rear. As the cave twisted and turned for some 30 yards before opening into a small cavern approximately 20 feet wide. The tunnel continued in the far wall. Apart from that, the cavern was empty except for a few pieces of trapped driftwood. Beric was about to continue when Kier broke the silence. Wait, the rogue whispered suddenly. I'm going to make a hear noise check for Kier to see whether he can pick up any sounds from the tunnel ahead. The basic expert rules give thieves a 2 in 6 chance of hearing noises up first level. Here is the roll on the d6. A 4. Oh well, not this time Kier. Beric and Lena looked expectantly at Kier, who was cocking his head towards the tunnel, 
a look of concentration on his face. I thought I heard. No, it's gone. Whatever it was, we'd best be on our guard. Come on. They continued along the tunnel, and as they did so, the sound of the sea once again grew louder. Beric noticed that the sand had become wetter still, and he felt a soft breeze from up ahead. Presently, the tunnel opened up into a large cavern. It wasn't possible to see the far wall, but the seawater rippled directly before them in a pool covering half the visible space. To the left, pale daylight filtered down a tunnel leading out to the open sea. To the right, beyond the waterline, the cavern sloped upwards and another tunnel could be seen leading up. Beric lifted the torch higher and attempted to cast the light further, and as he did so, Lena gasped as the light fell upon the figure of a man bound and gagged against a stake in the waterline. Dramatis Personae, Lena. Lena is a human first-level cleric of the Nine. She is twenty years old with long auburn hair, which she often wears in braids. Her eyes are green. She is not beautiful, but there's something pleasing about her face, which is quite round. She stands at five foot five inches and weighs 130 pounds. She has a somewhat serious nature. She's reflective and tends to think deeply, sometimes too much so. Lena grew up in the cosmopolitan city of Godsport. She is the youngest of three daughters. Her father is an important man, seneschal to the Eldermon of the city. Growing up, Lena was often told she had an old head on young shoulders. As a young woman, whilst her sisters played games or sought the attention of boys, Lena would often be found in the library at the Temple of the Nine, nose deep in a book or listening to the scholars debating ethics. It was here that she first came to the attention of one of the wise, a man called Merrin, who saw in her the potential for a promising student. Her parents were reluctant at first, but Lena pleaded with them to let her be initiated into the cult, and finally they relented. A career in the priesthood, after all, was respectable and befitting a young woman of good birth. Lena took to vocational life with zeal, reveling in the teachings of the great sages and philosophers. The young novitiate idolised Merrin, hung on his every word, eager to learn the esoteric mysteries which the older man promised to impart. One evening, while studying alone together in the library, their relationship went beyond teacher and pupil. Lena sat poring over an ancient scroll by the Venerable Benedine. She was aware that her teacher was watching her from across the table. She had butterflies in her stomach. She always did in his presence. Merrin was fifteen years her senior. His dark hair was beginning to grey at the temples. Even so, he was a handsome man. He was charming and erudite. Lena tried to ignore his gaze and turned back to the scroll. It was no use. She could not decrypt the true meaning of the maxims in the text. She sighed in frustration. But what does it mean? The key that unlocks the soul? Merrin leaned in, reaching across the table. His fingers gently brushed Lena's hand. She looked up to meet his eyes. It's simple, Lena. Love. The candle flickered in the breeze and went out. Lena's affair with Merrin continued for several months. She was happy, but soon there were whispers of gossip among the temple's adherents. She cared not. She was in love. Lena was summoned from prayer one morning to the High Seer's office. 
she hurried along the cloisters, not wishing to be seen to tarry. She knocked on the heavy oak door and waited before being called in. Upon entering, Lena saw the High Seer sitting behind a desk. He was old. His head was bald, barring a ring of tightly cropped grey hair around the back of his pate. His face was clean-shaven, as was customary of men in the priesthood. He had green eyes and an aquiline nose which gave him a hawkish appearance. To his left stood Merin. Her lover's head was bowed. He did not look up. Lena suddenly felt her heart in her throat. Her mind raced. What was going on? She tried to compose herself. Ah, Lena, please be seated. The high seer gestured towards a vacant chair in front of her. Lena duly sat. Well now, how go your studies? The high seer asked pleasantly. I try my best, Your Excellency. I want to learn. Very good. Your best is all we can ask. And have they spoken to you? Have you received the word? Lena bowed her head in humility. No, Your Excellency. The Nine have not blessed me with the word. Fear not. I am sure it's only a matter of time. And, of course, piety. The High Seer let that word hang for a moment. Lena heard Merin quietly clear his throat. I hear very promising things about you, Lena. Merin here tells me you are a most attentive pupil. Lena felt her cheeks flush. I, I, I thank you, Your Excellency. Indeed. So much so, in fact, that I have been discussing with Merin the next stage of your spiritual tutelage. Lena looked towards Merin, whose eyes remained downcast. Oh? Yes. We have agreed that you should undertake a pilgrimage. A pilgrimage? Lena asked quizzically. Where? Why, to the very seat of the Nine's teaching, of course. The High Temple in Alakazar. What? No, I mean, Alakazar? Why, it's so far. Come, child. I know it's a daunting prospect, but we only send our best and brightest on such an honor. You will learn much from the scholars of the High Temple, and, of course, you will have time to meditate, to reflect on their wisdom, and the choices we mortals make. In Alakazar, I am confident that with devotion, you are sure to receive the word. Now then, we have arranged passage for you aboard a ship, the Siren. You leave on the morrow. The High Seer smiled before continuing. Here is a letter of introduction for you to present when you arrive. It should see that you are welcomed. Lena took the letter. The sealing wax was still warm. I... I... Lena looked at Merin and then to the High Seer before bowing her head. Tears welled in her eyes. She sniffed and cleared her throat. <clears throat> yes, yes, Your Excellency, of course. Thank you. Thank you for this great honour. Here, 
said Beric, handing the torch to Lena before moving to make their way around the waterline towards the bound man. The ground of the cavern floor was covered in shingle, which crunched loudly under their feet. They had only gone about ten yards when the water to their left bubbled violently. The party stepped back, as a huge form suddenly burst from the water. At first an enormous brown carapace, some two metres across and covered with barnacles emerged, followed by two great pincers the size of anvils. The giant crab rose from the water on its eight armoured legs, its mouth parts flicking as if tasting the air. A muffled scream came from the bound man, and the crab lunged towards the party. Entering combat. This is our first combat and is going to be tough. Giant crabs are three hit dice creatures, so the risk of a total party kill is quite real. So why have I put the party up against such a tough adversary? Well, it's about creating grounded fantasy. Just because the characters are low level doesn't mean that a terrifyingly deadly creature wouldn't cross their path. Reserving powerful monsters for higher levels just doesn't feel real to me and the characters are not always compelled to stand and fight. The random table I've created therefore is a mix of weak and strong creatures. I rolled the result off mic, but I'll post the table in the show notes at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. With such a powerful enemy, it does mean that a single hit landed by the crab is likely to kill, so the characters will need luck on their side if they're going to survive. With regard to NPCs and monsters, I'm going to rule that they'll min out at half their possible hit points. Here is the roll for the giant crab on 3d6. A 5. Okay, Fortune is so far smiling on the characters. The crab will min out at 9 hit points. Round 1. First a roll for surprise. I'm going to rule that the crab was lying in wait for prey, so will not be surprised, but let's see whether the party is. A roll of 1 or 2 on a d6 will mean the party is surprised, and the crab will get a free attack. Here's the roll. A 3. The party is not surprised. Okay, rolling for initiative on a d6. The crab. A 5. The party. A 3. The bubbles gave the crab away, but it's still able to press the advantage. Giant crabs get two attacks per round. Both will be on the same target, but I'll randomly roll to see who it attacks. On a roll of 1 or 2, Beric. 3 to 4, Lena. A roll of 5 or 6, and the crab will attack Kier. The roll. A 5. The crab will attack our rogue. As a reminder, I'm using the optional rule of ascending armor class. Kier's armor class is 11, but giant crabs get a plus 2 modifier to their attack rolls, meaning that the crab needs a 9 or more to hit our rogue. Here are the rolls on 2d20s. A 5 and a 3. The crab thrusts its huge pincers towards Kier, but the rogue is too fast and dodges to the side. The party's turn. The crab has an armor class of 17. Beric runs forward with his dagger. His strength is 17, which gives him a plus 2 modifier to hit and damage, meaning that he needs a 15 or higher. The roll. A 5. Beric's dagger ricochets off the crab's thick carapace. Lena, only armed with a torch, shoves the flaming brand towards the crab. She needs a 17 or more. The roll. Nat 20! Wow! Lena's first ever attack is a critical hit. That's the kind of luck the party needs if they are going to win this fight. Okay, I'm going to rule that torches deal 1d4 points of fire damage. In Legend of the Bones, a natural roll of 20 means the hit does maximum damage plus an additional roll. 
Conversely, a natural roll of one is a critical fumble, meaning that the protagonist will miss their next turn. Here is Lena's additional roll. A three. The crab squeals in pain as Lena thrusts the torch into one of its eyes, destroying it completely. Half blind, I'm going to remove the crab's plus two modifier to hit, and it only has two hit points remaining. Having dodged the crab's attack, Kier attempts to hit with his dagger. He needs a 17 or more. The roll. A 9. His dodge left him off balance and he can't connect a blow. Round 2. Initiative. The crab. A 3. The party. A 1. Having been badly wounded, I'm going to make a check against the crab's morale of 7. The roll on 2d6. A 7. Despite its wound, the crab's hunger and the prospect of a meal make it fight on. This round, the crab will attack. Beric. It will need to roll Beric's armor class of 10 or more to hit the fighter. Two rolls for two attacks. A 6 and a 5. Beric ducks in the nick of time, and the crab's pincers snap at the air where the fighter's head had been a moment before. Now the party attacks. With the crab down to just two hit points, a lucky roll might end the combat. Beric needs a 15 to hit the crab. The roll on a d20. A 16! No need to roll damage. His strength bonus is enough on its own. As Beric ducks the crab's attack, he comes up inside the pincer's reach and stabs the creature under the rim of its shell, right between the eyes. His blade pierces the crab's brain, killing it instantly. Now is probably a good time to talk about experience. Personally, I don't like the way that experience works in the basic expert rules. It is solely focused on defeating monsters and finding treasure, and for me, this ignores all the other things that characters would realistically learn from. Therefore, I'm going to use a system of experience that I've seen used by other people playing RPGs solo. Namely, that characters will level up after a defined number of sessions, or in my case, episodes. So in Legend of the Bones, characters, and NPCs for that matter, will level up after 8 episodes up until level 3, and 10 episodes for every level thereafter. Okay, with that done, let's get back to the story. The creature was motionless for a moment before its pincers fell lifelessly and its legs buckled. The huge carapaced body sunk into the water and was still. The three of them looked at one another, panting breathlessly. Beric was bent over, his hands on his knees supporting the weight of his torso. Lena muttered a prayer softly whilst Kier cursed under his breath. That was close. We need to be more careful. A muffled call from the bound man caught their attention. They approached cautiously. The man was dressed in a simple tunic of grey wool and brown breeks. His dark hair hung to his shoulders. His hazel eyes looked pleadingly. Beric waded into the water and removed the man's gag, whilst Kier cut his bonds. Beric could see the man's lip was swollen and there was a trace of dried blood. I thank you, friends, said the man, rubbing his wrists. His accent was unfamiliar, foreign. Who are you? And who did this to you? Forgive me. My name is Valen of Clanris. I am an apprentice of the craft. You're a warlock, Lena cried. 
Her voice barely concealed her disdain. Valen smiled at her. We prefer the term mage. So who bound you? Asked Kier. These caves lead up to my master's home. We were attacked shortly after dawn by a score of men bearing an insignia of a blazing sun. The Brethren? Lena interrupted. The who? Beric questioned. The Brethren of the Purifying Light. They are fanatics, vigilantes. They believe sorcery is heresy to the Nine. There is much debate amongst the wise on this, but most in the priesthood would never condone the murder of witches. Well, Valen replied, these men murdered my master. I was preparing ingredients in the laboratory when I first heard the shouts. I hid at first. I could hear them taunting my master. He was not a violent nor evil man, quite the opposite. There were tears now in Valen's eyes. Then I heard his screams. I ventured to see what was happening. They had doused him in oil and set him aflame. In my shock, I knocked over a bottle. They heard and came for me. I ran. The laboratory has stairs down to these caves. We use them to receive supplies. I thought I could escape. Valen nodded to a small skiff beached on the shingle. I was wrong. They caught me, beat me, bound me to that stake. They said the sea would take me to hell. And it would have, unless that crab made a meal of me first. Until you came, that is. I'm so sorry, Lena said. She looked ashamed. Their actions are not yours, and I am in your debt. Now, friends, who might you be? Beric, Lena, and Kia introduced themselves and explained how they came to be in the cave. Valen listened intently, only interrupting occasionally to ask a question. When they had finished, the mage looked grim. Well then, your ill luck has been my deliverance. While I am thankful, I am sorry for your misfortune. It was the will of the Nine, Lena said earnestly. Perhaps. And here we are. Now, I can lead us up to the tower. If the brethren have not pillaged and destroyed everything, I can offer you food and some supplies. The others nodded their assent and followed the mage as he led them up the incline. It has not been a long time since Valen was captured, only an hour or so, so I'm going to roll on the simple Game Master Oracle to see whether the Brethren are still in the tower. I'll post the Oracle in the show notes at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Here's the roll. Okay, let's see how this plays out. Valen led the party up the stair to tunnel. Soon, the natural rock of the cave was replaced by fine stonework. Every 20 yards or so was a wall sconce. None of the torches were lit, but a few smoked gently. The tower was originally built as a lighthouse, Valen explained. Though it had been long abandoned by the time my master made it his home. And how came you to leave your home and travel across the sea? Beric asked. Ah, well. That is another story, but now here we are. Valen had stopped the party in front of a heavy iron-bound oak door. Beric thought that if the mage did not wish to answer his question, then their arrival at the door gave Valen a convenient excuse. But now was not the time to press the matter. I think it's best if I go first, 
but here, you might need this. Beric offered Valen his spare dagger, which the mage took with a slight nod of his head. Beric looked at the others. Ready? They only nodded in reply, but the fear was clear in their eyes. Beric reached for the iron ring with his left hand, whilst gripping the dagger in his right. His palms were wet, and he could feel his heart thumping in his chest. He shifted his grip on the dagger before bracing himself. He took one final breath, and then in one motion he barged the door with his shoulder, bursting into the room. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. You can contact me on Twitter at legendbones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com, or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps, and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the Bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.